0: The following audio is from a sermon titled, Bearing One Another's Burdens. For more information about Harvest City Church, please visit our website at harvest.city. Man, I don't know about y'all, Um, but for me, even just a week outside of this place and a week away from uh, corporate worship, and don't get me wrong, we tried to do it online last week and track with y'all and sing songs in our our downstairs living room again, but man alive, it is nothing like being present with y'all. I am so, so refreshed already uh, just being present uh, with y'all in corporate worship. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to open the Word of God with you. Uh, just makes me realize, just even one week away, um, you know, it makes me realize how necessary um, this is in our lives, that we would not be a people that give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but that we would encourage one one another all the more as we see the day approaching, Amen. All right, so here we go. Uh, We're going to do this a little bit differently this morning, right, y'all? We're probably expecting with these banners that we'd be stepping into the whole story and continuing on our track from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, But what we've got planned for you this year uh, as an elder team is that we would take some pit stops, okay? I'm not really a NASCAR guy, but I understand that you drive in circles over and over and over again. It's actually like an oval, maybe, right? And then there's times uh, that you have to take a pit stop, you have to get your tires changed, you have to, uh, you know, fill up with gas, those kind of things. Things. And so uh, these weeks are built in uh, by nature of uh, us desiring to be good shepherds of the flock that lead our church through God's word. Uh, we've got some built-in weeks for pit stops. And so this week is one of those pit stops. And this week uh, we are taking a pit stop in Gen- in Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 5 because as an elder team we really feel like this is where the Holy Spirit's led us. And I tell you what, as I've studied it this week, I could not feel any more confirmed in what God has been calling us to that this This is the place where we need to take a pit stop as a church this morning. If I got to take a break and dip into this tea, it's because I still got this nasal drip going and I don't want y'all to have to listen to me all nasally. I don't even like my voice when it's like that, okay? So that's why this tea is up here with me uh, on this pit stop this morning, okay? So here's the deal. Uh, We are a church that values gospel centrality above everything else in our church, okay? So I know we talk about having four values that make our church distinct uh, week in and week out. It's like, it's how we tell new people, hey, these are some things that distinguish us, you know? Uh, from the average everyday New Testament church. Uh, It's not because we think those things are more important than everything else other than gospel centrality. Uh, It's more because those are distinguishing factors of what makes us unique as a church, right? Uh, But the one that is a staple that stands above all of those values is gospel centrality, all right? And so we, uh, we care about gospel centrality so much that every week, no matter what, in this pulpit, we made a gross error if we didn't come to the gospel in the sermon, okay? And so uh, even with, with kiddos in the room this morning, okay, one of your jobs this morning as a kid can be to check me on that. If I don't get back this morning to what Jesus Christ has done for us in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, if you don't hear me talk about that for at least five minutes this morning, Scott didn't do his job, all right? And you say, hey, pastor, we need a new pastor this morning. Uh, because you didn't talk about the gospel and you told me to check on that, okay? So kids, you can check me on that and you get back to me on that one, okay? Uh, we value the gospel so much. It's so central to us that we have literally a booklet that tells us and teaches us and trains us how in response groups, in our missional families, man, we wanna be a church that preaches the good news of the gospel to one another week in and week out when we confess sin one another, when we come alongside one another. We don't want to be a church that just gives good advice to one another. There's lots of places in the world to give good advice. But we want to be a church that deals out the gospel one to another. And heck, we're taking a full year, y'all, to roll from Genesis to Revelation to point out that the Bible is one grand story of redemption with one great hero, and his name is Jesus. And so, y'all, we take this gospel centrality thing seriously, but if when the rubber hits the road in our church culture, if the motivation for everything that we do doesn't come back to, this, to answering a few simple questions that we're going to look at this morning, then I think we should seriously consider whether or not we have a true gospel culture, all right? So this morning, I have a little bit of a diagram that I grabbed from a pastor that's in a Acts 29 cohort of mine. Uh, the middle of this is probably not new to many of you in our church, thinking about roots and fruit, and that uh, as a people, we don't want to be a people that just identify the bad fruit in our lives, right, uh, and think, okay, we got to pick the bad fruit out, throw it off, and then somehow, like Paul Tripp makes the joke, staple the good fruit in its place. That's behavior modification, uh, but we want to be a people that ask the hard questions and do the work together. Get to the root of our bad behavior, our sinful behavior, such that repentance could be this turning, this change from, hey, this is what I believe at a street level about what who God is, what He's done, who I am, and what I do. Because honestly, we don't just do bad things, we actually believe wrong things, okay? Uh, we have unbelief that it's what brings about the bad fruit in our lives. And so as we repent of and we turn from believing those things about God and what He's done, uh, we want to turn to. Having the right answers to those questions be what fleshes out good fruit in our lives. And so the four simple questions that we're gonna rock through this morning are what do I do, or backwards, sorry. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I and what do I do? That's what we're gonna look at this passage with uh, because we desire to be a church that is motivated by the gospel in all we do, especially this morning as we get into this topic of burden bearing. So uh, this morning, I think God wants each one of us to hear because God loves us enough to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to live in us that we must keep in step with the Spirit by bearing one another's burdens. My sermon title is nothing, uh, nothing creative this morning. It's just bear one another's burdens. So we're going to Galatians 6. If y'all want to pull out the Bibles underneath your chairs, here at Harvest City, I say this on a regular, right? But we believe that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword to pierce through bone and marrow, soul and spirit. If you hear anything else this morning here, the reason we go to the Bible is because God is serious about getting up in our business. He wants to see our hearts changed and transformed. He wants to make us more like his son, Jesus. And so we believe that the word of God is a means of grace to, be that, to bring that about in our lives. So here we go. Galatians chapter six, verse one starts like this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Church, because God loves us enough to give us the gift of his Holy Spirit, we must keep in step with the Spirit by bearing one another's burdens. Y'all pray with me. God, as we enter into your word this morning, we don't take it lightly. Um, Man, I recognize this as being a season, not just in our church, not just in our city, but in the world around us uh, in this whole pandemic season. Man, thinking about bearing one another's burdens sometimes uh, can give us trauma and flashbacks, to be honest, because uh, our load has felt so heavy personally. And so God, we ask that as we unpack the theology of bearing one another's burdens this morning, God, that you'd help us to uproot the street-level things that we believe about who you are and what you've done and who we are. And, uh, um, and God, that you'd, you'd help us to turn, to do that work of, of repentance and to believe afresh the good news of the gospel and what your word says. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, y'all, you probably are used to this. I'm probably going to say something like this almost every week we're in this story, uh, the whole story, because we're jumping from one book of the Bible to the next. And so we're going to go to school, okay, for a moment before we head to church. Uh, And in Galatians specifically, uh, it, it talks a lot about when Jesus died and rose from the grave, he ushered in this age of the new covenant. Okay? And it seems like everybody in the church in Galatia wasn't quite ready for this new era. Uh, and so that's why we have this letter of Galatians. Okay? The new covenant is an era in which believers do not have to become Jews or follow the outward ceremonies of the Mosaic law. And on top of that, uh, to require these things is, is actually to deny the heart of the gospel, which is justification by faith alone not by obedience to the law. So in the last part of Paul's letter to the Galatians, he points out that life in this new age is a spiritual life. Christians in the new covenant are to live all of life in the guidance and power of the spirit. Most people, if you know anything in Galatians, you know that passage in Galatians five, it talks about love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? in the life of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, That's where we're going to find ourselves this morning, is right after that, in a passage that details for us what it looks like to keep in step with the Holy Spirit when a brother or sister is caught in a transgression or when they're they're carrying a burden that's too heavy for them to bear on their own. So in line with that gospel tree this morning, we're going to look at this passage, answer these four big questions, who is God, what has God done, who am I? And what do I do? So as we get started with the first question, who is God this morning? I want us to realize that as Bible readers, context is king, okay? If you don't see clearly who God is uh, in the five verses that you're handed this morning, man, you got to be looking before and after because his character is throughout the Bible. The Bible is about him. Okay? And so the first place we're going to answer this question, who is God, is just a little bit before our passage in the beginning of the section we find ourselves in, and it's in Galatians five thirteen to 15, where it says, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word that word's love but then he uses more than one word. Don't you love that when people are like, you know, I got one word for you and then they give you like more than one. Anyways, that's what he did here. Okay? So, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So, the question is, uh, what do we see about who God is in this text in this text? It's that God is love, okay? You might ask yourself the question, why is it that two great commandments are to love God and love your neighbor? Well, simply put, it's because God is love. And to live for him and his glory is to love. You cannot glorify God apart from love. We see that really clearly in 1 John 4, seven and nine. This is one of my favorite texts, okay? Uh, If people ask me what I wanna preach at their wedding, this is the one that I tell them. And then there's a list of four other ones that I've also done before, but this one's my favorite, okay? So the first thing that we know about God from the context of this passage is that God is love. But there's another thing that's really clear in the context that I want to make us make sure that we see as well. And it's not just that God is love, but it's that God is Holy Spirit, okay? Just in the next couple of verses uh, after this, it talks about the spirit all the time. Verses 16 to 18 say, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So the second thing I wanted us to notice about who God is from this passage is that he is spirit. And more specifically, that he is the Holy Spirit. Okay, the spirit mentioned many times in Galatians is the third person in the Trinity. Okay, you know the Father, you know the Son. We are not nearly as familiar as we should be with the Holy Spirit in the church, okay? And that's who he's talking about here in Galatians chapter 5. And the two reasons that I wanna bring this to our attention this morning are these. First is so that we would see how God works from the inside out, okay? Literally, the Bible says that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, when you repent of your sin and put your trust in the good news of the gospel, there's multiple gifts you get. You get the gift of forgiveness. One of the gifts that you receive is that God comes to take residence in you. We call that the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And then God begins, that, that's called justification. When you, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's this one time thing that happens that your status is changed before God. The other thing that begins to happen, the process that starts there is called sanctification. And as the spirit lives in you, he does the work of making you more like his son, Jesus. It's this process of becoming more like him. God does this inside out work It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want us to remember God is the Holy Spirit because he wants to do this inside out work in all of our lives if we're in Christ. And second, I simply want to remind each of us that the spirit who lives inside each one of us and whom Paul in this letter tells us to keep in step with, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay. Walking by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit is not some low bar, okay? It's a call to holiness, but it's also a call to holiness with an incredible power source, okay? So the Spirit of God that lives inside us is a Holy Spirit. He's trying to transform us to be more like Jesus, to be really holy, and the deal is He also lives inside of us, empowering us to do the obedience and the holiness that He calls us to. So that's, a, that's where we're starting, okay, is who is God? God is a God of love. He literally is love, the scriptures say, and he is Holy Spirit. He's doing an inside-out work in our lives. He's taking residence in us. But let's go uh, to our text, uh, directly to our text to answer this question of what God has done. Look at verse 2 this morning in chapter 6. This is where we're going to hang our hats for quite a while this morning. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You're like, well, what does that say about what God has done for us? Well, let me tell you. This passage in a roundabout way reminds us that Jesus Christ is the ultimate burden bearer. If we're fulfilling the law of Christ, that means we're fulfilling something that Jesus has done. This verse reminds us to to bear one another's burdens is the supreme imitation of Jesus, the ultimate burden bearer who has borne both the burden of our sins and the curse of the law. You see, when we think about what God has done, we need not look any further than the cross of Christ this morning, church. Jesus, the ultimate burden bearer, bore the burden of the curse of the law for all who have broken his law. Look with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. I tell you, context is king. We had to go all the way to chapter 3 to get this one. It says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. That's a quote from the prophets. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Here it is, verse 13. Here's the good news. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Church, this is an incredible thing that Jesus has done for us. The history of human experience and the entire Old Testament tell us that not not a single one of us can perfectly live out the law of God. We can't even live out the Ten Commandments. You could boil it down to just ten things, and not a single one of us can live out that law. And that means that all of us who have failed to observe the fullness of the law stand under a curse and we stand condemned. But when Jesus Christ, who had perfectly upheld the law, bore the burden of the law on the cross, the burden of the curse was lifted for all who trust in him. And Galatians tells us that he's done even more than that. That seems like a pretty big deal. I don't know about y'all. I don't wanna live under a curse. I wanna live under the blessing, but he's done even more than that. Because Jesus, the ultimate burden bearer, even carried the burden of our sins to the point of death on a cross. Y'all, this is one of my favorite verses. You're not supposed to have favorite verses probably, but it's one of mine, okay? Uh, 1 Peter 2.24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that you might live uh, for Christ, but die or live to, die to sin, sorry, I got to switch up, and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. I'm gonna say that one more time because it's really good. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's burden bearing right there. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. You see, Jesus didn't have to bear the burden of our sins, y'all, but he chose to, and this passage reveals just a few reasons why he would go to such a great length for sinners like you and me bearing our burdens. The first reason it says is that Jesus bore our sins so that we might die to sin. This is not talking about us uh, dying for sin, okay? It's not about punishment at all. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. Jesus bore the burden of our sin on the cross so that we would sever all ties to sin so that our sin would be dead to us, right? Uh, This is the language that people use now about their ex-boyfriends or girlfriends. You're like, oh, that person is so dead to me, right? Like, that's what you'd say about them. Like, they're not even in your context or you've severed all ties with that person. Okay, I didn't mean to make that lightly. And like girls only say that. Dudes do that too, okay? My bad. Uh, not trying to make any fun. But we need to sever all ties. We need to sin, live as if sin is dead to us. That's one of the reasons that Jesus bore our burden of our sin all the way to death on the cross. And on top of that, Jesus bore our sins in his body. Here it is. So that we might live to righteousness. So we've severed all ties to sin, but we're gonna live to righteousness. In other words, he bore the burden of our sin so that we would devote ourselves to living the way God created us to live, to live a righteous life in Christ. Church, Jesus Christ is the ultimate burden bearer and he bore the burden of our sin so that we would crucify the flesh with its passions and desires and live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, this is good news about what Jesus has done and it's such good news that it doesn't merely change what we do but it completely changes who we are, right? If God is a God of love and he is the, he's the Holy Spirit and what he's done for us is bear our burdens to the point of bearing the curse that we deserve and taking our sins and bearing those burdens all the way to death on a cross to sacrifice himself in our place, that doesn't just change what we do, it first changes who we are, giving us a whole new identity in Christ. And that brings us to that third question. Who am I? Well, let's start with the context, okay? Go back to Galatians 5, 13 to 15, the section that we find ourselves in this morning, and, and hear this. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Not only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Harvest City, if you are in Christ this morning, then you have been set free from the law of sin and death. We don't just see that here in Galatians. We see it in Romans chapter 8 as well, clear as day. And if you're set free from the law of sin and death, then that means you have the spirit of God living inside of you, not because you deserve it, not because God thought, oh wait, this looks like a really great place for me to live. Now I'm guessing that we weren't on the top of his list of holiest places to live, right? But because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, Because he loves you, because he loves you. No, that sounds like circular reasoning, but it's true, okay? He loves you because he loves you. And as a result, he took up residence inside of you. And if the spirit of Christ lives in you, then you are free from condemnation and you are free from the curse of the law. But we must not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, right? We must use our freedom as an opportunity to serve and to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're free from the law of sin and death, now we're under the law of Christ. That means that we need to dial in to Galatians 6 two that says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The first thing we know about our, our identity in Christ here is that we are a spirit-filled people who have been set free. <clears throat> The second thing that we know is that we are a people who have our own loads to bear. Look at verse 5. It says, for each will have to bear his own load. So this is where we got to do a little bit of vocab work in order to understand this text, okay? Because he uses this word burden and load that we sometimes use interchangeably, but they're not meant to be used interchangeably in this text, okay? The difference between load and burden is that load is simply something to be borne. There's no reference to its weight in that in that in that term at all. It's it's just something to be born, okay? But burden always suggests what is heavy or burdensome. So burden in this text is always going to be something that's heavy or burdensome. For example, the burden of a transgressor caught in sin is a burden that's heavy. However, the load that each one of us has to carry is just something to be born, okay? I'm going to illustrate this for us this morning uh, with two simple things, okay? The first uh, is a backpack. I'm not talking about, kids, the kind of backpacks that you wear when you throw on and you head to school in the morning, okay? I'm talking about the kind of backpack that you would throw on if you were going to backpack across Europe. All right. Uh, You've got maybe a frame on it. Maybe you've got a no frame pack uh, and you've got in that thing the things that you need in order to make your journey. Right. They're your personal belongings. that You got to have in order to be able to cook your food, stay in your tent, those kind of things. All right. That is what I'm going to use to signify this load this morning. It's not too heavy for you. It's just right for you. It's the load that you've been made to carry on your journey across Europe, right? The second uh, that I'm going to use to illustrate uh, burden this morning is like one of those giant flipping tractor tires, okay, that you would only see somebody trying to flip at some strongman contest or the idiots that go to CrossFit gyms, all right? Uh, I I was one of those idiots, so I'm not like throwing you under the bus, okay? I'm just saying that you you step up to one of those things and... Your sanity doesn't always feel right when you're trying to flip one of those giant tractor tires, okay? Because it's a heavy burden, all right? And so the idea is that there's one that is this load. It's my personal backpack. It's my backpacking backpack that I was meant to carry, okay? But there's this other thing. A human being, a normal-sized human being, uh, most even the big-sized human beings, walk up to one of those tractor tires, and you're not made to flip that sucker over. Not on your own, at least, Okay? You might need some help in order to be able to flip that tractor tire over. So this morning, as we think about loads and as we think about burdens, I want to point out that no matter who we are, flipping one of those massive tractor tires over is a heavy burden. But when a backpack's packed correctly, it's a normal burden to be borne throughout the entirety of your backpacking trip. In fact, after you've been carrying it for a while, you might start to forget that it's there, right? You're just trucking along that day and you just realize, oh, hey, I still got my pack on You see, the point I'm trying to make is is, is a significant one, and it's this. When it comes to bearing one another's burdens in love, all of us are already wearing metaphorical backpacks. We don't take our personal load off as we step into bearing burdens with one another. It's like we're still wearing that backpack as we put our hands underneath that tractor tire and seek to help somebody flip it over. You see, the image here is of all our brothers and sisters in Christ wearing these normal backpack loads. And when someone's caught in a transgression, it's up to us to bear their burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. And when we do that, putting our backpack loads down isn't an option. We're still carrying our personal load as we help bear that burden. And this is what makes verses three and four so incredibly important. So I think it's true of us that we are a spirit-filled people who have been set free, okay? I think it's true of us that all of us have this normal burden to carry. But this isn't about our identity in Christ, but it does answer who we are in some sense. Uh, Some of us are deceived, the way that it says in verse three or four. So think about this in terms of identity. It says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Okay, family, I already got into this a little bit, but I'm gonna shoot straight with you on this one. Being deceived to think you're something when you're nothing, that's called pride. And pride in our lives can impede us from fulfilling the law of Christ. Pride is thinking of yourself more highly than you ought and it inhibits us from loving others the way that Christ loves them. It can keep us from keeping in step with the Spirit and restoring others who have uh, been overcome by temptation. Harvest City, some of us have been deceived by our own pride, and I think that's the main reason in this season why we've not been loving our brothers and sisters in Christ well and bearing their burdens with them. You see, some of us are convinced that we're a big deal and that burden bearing is, is kind of below us. We'll leave that to other people to do that heavy work. Some of us have been deceived into thinking that we've already fulfilled our quota of burden bearing in this season. And so we're like, well, did that, check, check that box. That's not for me anymore. I'm saying that we're deceived if we think that. While others of us just can't see past our backpack loads, right, because uh, at some point in time in this season, uh, I realized so clearly that my personal load feels like it's got a few too many extra pounds in it. And so we've just started to grow uh, prideful and thinking that we're something when we're nothing, it's affected the way that we think about our own personal load. You see if this is you then there's one place to go with that pride that's going to be helpful to you and that place is before the face of God. Verse four directs those who have been deceived by pride straight to self-examination and because uh, the Bible is really clear that our hearts are deceitful there's really only one way to do true self-examination. And that's to bring God in and the, and the examination, right? Because we're deceived by our own sin and our own hearts. We need him to help us see clearly. Scripture says that he holds the king's heart in his hand like a watercourse and directs it wherever he pleases. That's what the Proverbs say. Uh, the, the psalmist wrote that he knows the number of hairs on our heads and the number of thoughts, uh, the very thoughts in our hearts. So there's not one person who can stand in his presence and think that he is something other than he really is. We are all sinners in the presence of a holy God. So here's the recap so far, okay? The God who created us and redeemed us is love. And when we repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, then our God of love comes to live inside of us. He's called the Holy Spirit. He's got an inside out work that he wants to do in our lives. And God has proven his love for us by sending his one and only son to bear the burden of the, of the curse for us and to bear the burden of our sin to the point of death on a cross so that we would die to sin, sever our ties with sin, and that we would live to righteousness and we'd live a righteous life in Christ powered by the Holy Spirit. And by grace alone, through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, then we are a spirit-filled people who have been set free. And if you want to think about what we do with that freedom, nothing answers that question better than uh, chapter 5, 13 to 15. We are to serve one another. That's what we are to do. And, and so we've got to get a little bit more in the specifics. And I think that's what verses 1 to 5 are for this morning. So as we wrap up this morning thinking about what we are to do and applying this to our life, the rest of the way think this is about me using the freedom that I have in Christ to serve one another. One thing, we're going to go through all five of these verses. The first thing we see is that we're supposed to use this freedom to restore transgressors in gentleness. Verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. One of the ways that we reflect the love of our God of love and keep in step with the Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit is by restoring our brothers and sisters in Christ who get caught up in a transgression. Caught up in this word, restore, is the image of putting back together something that's broken or sewing back together something that's been torn. Bringing it back to its original created purpose. That's what this work of restoration looks like. And I want to notice there's no limiters in this this phrase, okay? It says that we are to restore anyone who's caught in any transgression it's not like uh well we restore some of the people and we restore the people that are caught up in this list of sins here that we're comfortable with no it's we're to restore anyone who's caught up in any transgression and then Paul describes the who and the how right he says you who are spiritual should restore him This is referring back to those that have the spirit of God in them by faith in Jesus. But at the same time, it's saying something about the mature or the experienced spirit-filled believers among the church should be the ones taking up this work. And then it says, when the mature spirit-filled believer goes to restore his or her brother in Christ, uh, it must be done in a spirit-filled way. Doesn't it make sense that we would do it in a spirit of gentleness? Since gentleness is one of the fruit of the spirit that's supposed to be growing on every brother and sister's life anyway. So as we put this into practice, there's a few things I want us to take home from this verse. First is this, that sin and transgression are not to be overlooked in the body of Christ. Y'all, if we're restoring people that are caught up in sin, sin cannot be something that is overlooked in the body of Christ. Sin tears apart, sin decreates, sin brings about chaos. That's what we know from the first two chapters of this whole story that we stepped into. We cannot overlook sin in the body of Christ. The best thing for the person caught up in sin, the best thing for the body of Christ and the best thing for God and the world that we live in is to restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Second, I want us to see that the work of restoration is a work of the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul could have used any word here. Uh, There's a lot of different word choices he could have used to talk about that it's mature people or godly people that do the work of restoration, but he actually used the word spiritual. And he did that to tie back to Galatians chapter five to show us this is a work of the Holy Spirit through his people. I think he wants to remind us how incredibly dependent we are on the spirit of God for the work of restoration. We do not step into this work in our own strength. And third, the spirit-empowered work of restoration must be carried out in the fruit of the spirit. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It's the same word used in this list of the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. So if we desire to be a part of the restoring work of the Holy Spirit, then we need to stay in step with the Spirit by asking God to grow us in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in gentleness in goodness, in faithfulness, and in self-control. The second thing that we see in this text uh, in verse 1 is that we've got to keep watch over ourselves lest we too be tempted. Brothers, it says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves lest you too be tempted. Tempted. One caution Paul has here is to keep watch over ourselves. The idea is that no matter how spiritual or mature we are, not a single one of us is above temptation ourselves. In other words, nobody is above the law when it comes to dealing with sin in the church. Keep in the mind that the Bible says sin is deceptive, that our hearts are sick, and no matter how mature we think we are, we must keep watch over ourselves. Y'all, there's this quote from Jerry Bridges, uh, this author that I love, um, that I haven't been able to shake for the whole of my life, okay? Uh, he used to um, serve with the Navigators that Emily and I were on staff with post-college, and I remember sitting with him and him saying to me, Scott, there is not a sin in the world that if put in the wrong situation at the wrong time, time that I wouldn't be possibly or that I wouldn't be able to commit and this is the most godly dude I ever met in my life okay this is the god guy in a lineup of people I would have picked him to be my grandpa for sure most sanctified human being I'd ever met and he said there's not a single sin in the world that if put in the wrong wrong situation at the wrong time that I couldn't commit Okay, that's the kind of humility we need to have as we keep watch over ourselves, recognizing that the people that are struggling with sin, that we step in to help restore, we are just, it's just as possible that we would be caught up in that sin. And then we go to Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. The next thing that we need to think about what we do is we need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Remember, since Jesus Christ is the ultimate burden bearer, bearing one another's burdens is the supreme imitation of Jesus. Anytime Paul says, like, uh, you know, like, imitate me as I imitate Christ, or that we are imitators of God, therefore, you know, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, the ultimate idea, the supreme imitation of Jesus is this one of burden bearing. So one of our brothers and sisters in Christ is carrying a burden that is too heavy for them to carry on their own. The most Christ-like thing that we can do for them is to metaphorically throw our shoulders under that burden with them and to help them flip that tractor tire as far as we can go without sinning because we're keeping watch over ourselves as well. So I just want to point out a few things uh, in our church, a few ways that I've seen uh, some opportunities to bear burdens in this season. Uh, and, and none of these are necessarily a result of sin in this specific person's life, right? Sometimes it's a result of sin in the past and other situations. Sometimes it's just one of the um, outcomes of the fall, right? Because like disease and destruction, those kind of things didn't come about until after the fall, okay? But here's a couple of situations uh, that I think bear putting this into application in our church one of them is in the area of parenting okay if you got two parents in the household and and those two parents are kicking it with Jesus and they're trying to raise their kids up in the Lord parenting very well can be a part of your personal load that is it's just one of the callings of God in your life and it's something for you to bear right but in a number of families uh, in our church uh, there's not that normal setup and so we have uh, single parents in our church that are kicking it and trying to do uh, what is the personal load of two people uh, by themselves. We also have uh, people trying to step into really beautiful situations like the Reese's. what you see in their life up here is trying to step into a situation where there's trauma there's sin in the past that's happened and they're coming alongside of these kids and trying to raise them up in the Lord. They didn't start with the clean slate they start You know, like uh, in some situations and dealing with things that have happened prior to them ever stepping into parenting. And in those kind of situations, parenting can go from just being this personal load to being a burden that is made to be borne by the church, by the family of God coming alongside of those people. Y'all, this is something that we need to see theologically as an opportunity for us to literally, like, put on Christ. To bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, this is one of the situations that I think is laid out for us. Another one uh, is that of mental he- mental health and mental illness. Okay, and so there's been uh, situations that have arisen in the midst of this season. Uh, and what you realize when you have conversations with people uh, that are struggling in this way is that uh, this isn't just a result of of their personal sin. It's definitely a result of the fall and the brokenness uh, that's been passed down in mankind over the time. And and when they get in their own heads like they can't always find the way out by reading the Bible and just and praying and thinking about the truth the way that many of us can and so in that way there is it necessitates other people coming alongside of them grabbing a hold of that tractor and being like I'm going to flip this with you I'm going to read the word of God with you I'm going to pray for you I'm going to come alongside of you and when you have struggles I'm going to be the one that you text and I can help dig you out of that hole and get you out of the fog so you can cl- see things clearly again This is a situation that necessitates burden bearing in the local church, okay? The other one right now that I'm really keenly aware of is there are situations uh, where uh, someone's health can be so bad that it necessitates more people coming alongside of them to help bear their burden and and fulfill the law of Christ. Because, uh, you know, having the flu is one thing, uh, but like having cancer is a whole nother thing. Stepping into uh, chemotherapy or immunotherapy of different kinds when you're going back into the hospital over and over again and it's actually taxing on your body as you're trying to be healed is a big enough thing that it necessitates bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. We have multiple things like that going on in our church and I just want to use this text to call us upward to step into that by the power of the Spirit in the love of God to be a church that does this well. Let's go to verses three or four, okay? So putting this into practice, the next thing that we need to do is regularly assess ourselves before the face of God. Verse three and four says, for if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, okay? Simply put, if we're gonna apply this text to our lives, we need to get before God. We need to get our face in his face on a regular basis and we need to ask him to search me and know my ways, to tell me if there would be any anxious way within me so that we can know before God, hey, what am I dealing with here? Do I have a humble disposition that trusts that the spirit of God is going to be the one doing this burden bearing through my life? Or am I getting arrogant or am I starting to think that I'm something when I'm nothing? And then lastly, this text says uh, we need to bear our own load. This is one of the things we need to do. For each will have to bear his own load. I want us to remember that we won't be much help to others if we're not bearing our own load. Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit through daily intake of God's word and pouring out our heart to God in prayer is essential to bearing our own load. We need to lead ourselves before we try and lead others in this way. Does that make sense? So in this way, one of the things, one of the ways that I think about this personal load is living out the callings in our life, okay? If you're in Christ, you are called to be a follower and a disciple of Christ. This is a part of your personal load. You've got to walk with Jesus in your day-to-day life. Uh, if you're a parent, then you, part of your personal load is you're called to be a mom or a dad, and that's a part of your personal load. If you're married, uh, part of your personal load is that you've been called to be a husband or a wife. If you've got friends, then you are called to be a godly friend to those people. If you're a brother or sister and you have, you know, you're a part of a family, you are called to live out that calling in your life. These things are part of our personal load and we need to do these things to the glory of God by the power of the spirit because if we don't do these things well to the glory of God, then we're not gonna be much help to our brothers and sisters in Christ when their needs arise and they need us to bear their burdens with them. So come back with me to that gospel tree, all right? The reason that we took time to answer all four of these questions this morning instead of just jumping straight to that last part and talking about what we're supposed to do, is because burden-bearing is not merely a fruit problem in our lives. If we don't get to the roots to solve this problem, then we will be just like a strong man who tries to deadlift uh, with his back. And he might get that tractor tire flipped over once, but because he did it with his back, he's going to throw out his back, and he's not going to be helpful to anybody else along the way, except for maybe Aaron Hildreth, because Aaron's going to be the one that pops his back back in after he's done, right? But... Y'all, we cannot be like that to try and manhandle uh, people's burdens. We've got to get all the way to the root, so that we can repent of our unbelief and we can step in and believe what God, who God is, what He's done for us, who we are in Christ, and then begin to do this doing. So, my prayer for us as a church is that we would have our eyes so focused on Jesus, the ultimate burden bearer, that when our opportunities come about to bear one of those burdens that we would keep in step with the Holy Spirit in the Spirit's power to the glory of God. And one of the best ways to do this, I kid you not, one of the God-ordained ways for us to fix our eyes and our hearts on the ultimate burden bearer is through the Lord's Supper. And so this is the main reason why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together weekly in our reunions. We believe that God will use the symbolic remembrance of what Jesus has done to transform us to be more like Jesus and in this case to bear one another's burdens to the glory of God. We believe that in remembering the body of Christ which was broken for us that we will become more and more willing to sacrificially give of ourselves to the glory of God and the good of those around us. And we believe that in remembering the blood of Jesus poured out for us, signified by that white grape juice or that red wine this morning, kids. Kids, you're going for the white one if you're coming up, okay? It's a reminder. My cousin grabbed the wrong one one time, or my nephew did. Don't do that. Kids, you're grabbing the white one, okay? But what's signified in that is the blood of Jesus poured out for us. And we believe that we will receive the grace of God poured out for us on the cross and become more able to extend the grace of God to others who are caught in transgressions and need a helping hand. So here at Harvest City, uh, all who have repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior are welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper with us. So when you're ready, you'll come up the center aisle, you'll grab the gluten-free bread and the white grape juice or the red wine and return to your seats. And there's gonna be members of the prayer and care team in the back available to pray with you uh, as we sing these last two songs from the bottom of our hearts at the top of our lungs. So will you pray with me as we lean into the the rest of our union this morning? God, we desire to be a church that bears one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We desire to be a church uh, that stays in step with your spirit because we know we cannot do this in our own strength. We desperately need your power to accomplish your mission in our lives and to do that corporately. And so God, this morning, I pray that you would make us keenly aware that we would do this work of self-assessment before your face. Even right now, as we grab these elements and we sit down before the face of God to examine ourselves, would you help us to see where we might think that we're something when we're really nothing? God, would you help us have an experience like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6 when he comes before the face of God and he says, Woe is me. I am a man with unclean lips and I come from a people with clean lips. God, humble us this morning that we might better be able to live out your commands in our lives. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.